Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Liz Cheney and the real American divide. Joel Gilbert joins us to talk about his film, Michelle Obama 2024. And Q&A Wednesday starts today. And of course, I will tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Well, as everyone knew what happened yesterday, there was a primary in Wyoming and indeed incumbent Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney lost her primary bid, lost another Republican for her house seat, uh, the only house seat from the state of Wyoming, and she lost by 37 points. I want to play a, a short little collection of clips. I'm asking you right now, do not turn the station, do not turn off your sound. I picked a short version, a, a segment of what Liz Cheney had to say in her concession speech last night. I have a really good reason for doing so, so please listen to that. And then we're gonna talk about what I see as the true divide, the true political divide facing America after this and after the Trump uh, raid of Mar-a-Lago and the Trump presidency. But first, let's hear what Liz Cheney had to say. Two years ago, I won this primary with 73% of the vote. I could easily have done the same again. The path was clear, but it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election. And tonight, Harriet Hageman has received the most votes in this primary. She won. I called her to concede the race. This primary election is over, but now the real work begins. The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Lincoln ultimately prevailed, he saved our union, and he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. Speaking at Gettysburg of the great task remaining before us, Lincoln said that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from this earth. At the heart of the attack on January 6th is a willingness to embrace dangerous conspiracies that attack the very core premise of our nation. I want to talk about what she had to say, what Liz Cheney had to say, and actually the link to her entire uh, speech is on our website if you want to listen to the whole thing. It's actually printed out in Newsweek magazine also. But I want to tell you how profoundly important I think this election was in, in Wyoming and what Liz Cheney had to say really is as we go forward as a nation. But first I want to go back to the entire reason I do this show. I do this show, America Can We Talk, to speak up for, articulate, explain, defend the unique and extraordinary identity that is of America. 
There's no other reason. I don't do it to make fun of people's clothing, hairstyles, lifestyle. I, all I want to do is save this country. And Liz Cheney and other politicians like her are dangerous because they echo words that sound as though they are believers in the true idea of America. They can recite language that was used by Abraham Lincoln. She also, she aligned herself or attempted to align herself with Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant. And she sounds as though she's a patriot. But I want to go back up and tell you how just nefarious it is what she's trying to do and what she is going to do to our country going forward. But on the idea of America and what America is, the reason Donald Trump swept into power in 2015 and 2016 was not because he happened to be a billionaire, not because he had a gruff demeanor, not because of anything about him personally, except that he articulated in ways the American people had not heard any politician in either political party for decades say about America. What Donald Trump did in the campaign in 2015 and 2016 and attempted to do during his presidency, he didn't, he wasn't, didn't have a grand and eloquent uh, demeanor of, a, of some kind of uh, actor level statesman. He spoke plain, simple English and encouraged the American people to believe in the idea of America again, to believe in the idea that what our founders said in the Declaration and the Constitution are vitally important. He didn't even have to quote them those documents. He didn't have to quote the founders, quote the documents. What he reinstilled in our country was the notion that America is a good and unique and extraordinary nation and the people of America deserve representation in Washington in their government. He exposed the swamp. That was his word. You can call it deep state, call it swamp, whatever you want. He exposed that over the decades since America and the centuries since America was founded, we've had a growing class of people in Washington in government who are either elected and stay there forever or are part of the various bureaucracies in Washington, D.C., and who have locked arms with the globalists in this world, locked arms with the major banking institutions, locked arms with all sorts of people who see themselves as the ruling class. And that whole cabal, that ruling class cabal, has absolutely no interest in the needs of the American people. They can do enough things through legislation and speeches and policies to sound like they are standing up for the American people. But what Donald Trump helped people see was they're not actually standing up for the American people. They've allowed our jobs to be drawn abroad when we didn't have to do that. We didn't, we didn't have an administration in Washington for decades fighting for the American worker, fighting for jobs here in America. We had a slow drift, an intentional um, kind of incremental but slow drift toward socialism and communism at the hands of the left that took over academia 80 years ago. And he exposed that, that just marching down the path to socialism, which was greatly expedited by the Obama years and those years of Obama-Biden. And some people woke up to it. What Trump, President Trump did, candidate Trump and President Trump did, was awaken the spirit of the American people that we were supposed to be the sovereign. We are the sovereign. That's what the Constitution is all about. So the Declaration is all about. And we don't have to just kowtow and bow to the ruling class in Washington, D.C. Liz Cheney enters Congress in 2018, the daughter of Dick Cheney, you know, the former vice president, and believing herself to be a profound expert on the um, 
on foreign policy and what America's role should be, another whole arena of policy that Donald Trump exposed to the American people and helped the American people understand the danger of many of our foreign policy decisions. So she gets to Washington. Trump is a man of the people. He's got the average Joe plumber jumping up and down, happy to vote for him. And this popularity of Donald Trump drove the incumbent ruling class out of their minds, out of their minds. They could not believe some guy who wouldn't just tout the party line, do as he's told by the Republican consultant class, by the GOP, by the RNC, by everyone who's the established power. They couldn't believe Donald Trump just didn't salute and do what he was told. He stood up for the people and this is why he is beloved. It's why he's beloved. It's why the people were show up on 24 hours notice at, to an outdoor arena and listen to him, 30 or 40,000 people in the rain, and they didn't even care. It was not because they were had some sort of sycophantish worship of him. It's because he restored the idea of America. And they got that. And people even said, I don't even care if you're telling me he's an imperfect messenger. I don't care if you're telling me he's not the greatest thing, that, you know, he has some things you don't like about him. They wanted someone, his words and his uh, reverence for America, it just resonated. And people said, we want that guy. And this drove the Dick Cheney's, the George Bushes, and many in the ruling class on both sides of the aisle. This is not a Republican versus Democrat idea. This is an America or not America idea. That's where we were when she got there. She gets to Washington. She can't wait to find reasons to undermine, belittle, and in some way take down Donald Trump. Do not for a minute be duped by her eloquent quoting of, of famous Americans in history. She wants the restoration of the Bush, Cheney, global elite, ruling class, establishment swamp, and the idea that Donald Trump if he were to be elected again in 2024, will truly clean out the swamp this time. He didn't even realize how deep the swamp was. The first time he was elected, she can see what's coming. The entire establishment ruling class will be exposed and this she cannot stand. The other point about Liz Cheney I wanna make, because she is, if you don't know this part, you need to know, she thinks she's very, very, very seriously in contention for the presidency of the United States of America. She's actually looking closely at running for president in 2024. So if you think about that, she's gonna run for president and among the basic things she will do is to try to split the vote on the Republican side, even if Trump, I, I'm assuming by the way, Trump needs to be the candidate in 2024. After Mar-a-Lago, after he's exposed about the FBI, he's gonna be the candidate in 2024. She thinks if she runs, she can split the Republican vote and she can maybe even, she'd be happy if she split the Republican vote and actually got the Democrat elected. This would be okay with her. She's so driven to control, so driven to the idea that the ruling establishment class must, must be in charge that if she ends up foiling the Trump presidency in 2024 and by splitting the vote, she's okay with that. And so are her other sycophant left-wing followers, her GOP non-Trumpers, whatever they want to call themselves. And I want to plant this seed very seriously. We are not at a place where we're looking at Republican versus Democrat. We're looking at America holding on the ideas of freedom, God-given freedom as a, as a declaration recites. We have God-given rights of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That whole America, that's on the chopping block as far as the left is concerned. Or you have you can have that America, the real America, 
or you can have what the left is trying to do, which you've been watching. We've all been watching Biden do in the last 18 months of this country. Absolute demolition derby against America and policy after policy after policy after policy. Biden is taking down America and everyone paying attention can see it. You abandon the southern border. Uh, I mean, the, the tax bills, the spending bills, the foreign policy, uh, we've been through it too much. The, the loss of freedom, the threats to the American people. If you dare to speak up on various issues, you might just be considered a terrorist. This is what the Biden team has in mind. This is what they think is good. So the big divide in America is not R versus D. It's whether you hold on to America and defend America and stand up for it or you decide you're okay letting it go. Now, I've never heard Liz Cheney so eloquent uh, when she blathers on and on about what she thinks she's doing. I've never heard her condemn, for example, the way the FBI has been treating the January 6th defendants. I've never heard her complain about the about anything that happens in Washington, except if it somehow helps her take down Donald Trump. And one last point, and I'll close out. We'll be talking more about it, but I'll close out the first five by saying this. The entire premise of her argument yesterday and throughout the time she has served uh, as the Queen Bee on the January 6th committee is that there's no evidence of election fraud. That's her argument. Because there is no evidence of election fraud, everything she stands for flows from that. I've never heard her respond to what 2000 Mules presented, let alone what the countless other pieces of Evidence have been put forward at national conferences, the, the pit that was just done by Catherine Engelbrecht. All of the evidence of election fraud is just screaming from the rooftops around this country. And yet her entire argument is because there was no election fraud, Donald Trump is a bad guy and he's guilty of he's created a conspiracy against America. She won't even look at the truth. And that element alone, she's telling you she is not an honest member of Congress. She's not an honest politician. She's not an honest American. Because anyone who actually looks at the evidence, you cannot come to any other conclusion. She doesn't want to see it. She was determined from the outset to not buy into his argument. She wanted him gone because he doesn't stand up for the swampy element of the Republican Party she so loves. And so the idea that the election was stolen, which many, many people can see, she won't even look at it. And so she says, yeah, she, her argument is, I won't look at the evidence, but believe me, I know the answer. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She either knows it was stolen and is happy about it, or she doesn't truly understand the volume of evidence. So she doesn't know it was stolen, in which case she is not bright enough to be a dog catcher. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. We have a guest joining us on the show today. He's been here before, Joel Gilbert. Um, he wrote a book, actually, the last... I don't know when the last time he was on. It's been a few times, but he wrote a book, Trayvon Hoax. Love that book. But he's out today uh, with a, he's got, he's a, a filmmaker as well as an author, a documentary filmmaker. He did a brilliant work uh, called The Trayvon Hoax. Now what he is working on is a book called Michelle Obama 2024. Here it is right here. I have it. I have, it's a great, great book, but he's also done a film. So I want to start, I think, I want to welcome Joel Gilbert to the show. I think he, yeah, there we are. Okay. Welcome Joel Gilbert to the show. Hello, sir. Hi, right, great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Okay, so I want—I think I'll start with the trailer to your book, and I'll tell you, folks, why I'm so pumped up about this book, because I think that the left has no choice but to recruit Michelle Obama to run for president in 2024. 
They, they can't run Biden because he doesn't know what day it is. He's sadly declining with whatever his mental health problem is. He's not capable of running the country. And their other choice, I guess, be Kamala Harris, which they know would be a disaster. So I think the left is desperate to get Michelle Obama to run for president in 2024. But I do want to quick play the uh, trailer for the film, and then we'll talk to author and filmmaker Joel Gilbert. They could run Michelle Obama, and if they do... Welcome, Michelle Obama! Michelle Obama is the most popular woman in America. You know I hate politics. You can forget about the disclaimer. I'm convinced that Michelle Obama is running for president in 2024. Systemic racism, pepper spray, and rubber bullets on peaceful protesters. She's following the exact same formula that Barack did to become president. Michelle was the keynote speaker at the 2020 Democrat convention, just like Barack was in 2004. Barack once ran a voter registration organization. Now, so does Michelle. That's how we change America. Also, Barack Obama based his candidacy on his personal story. Michelle has done the exact same thing. But like Barack, Michelle tells a life story that is more fiction than fact. Maybe somebody's gonna discover that I shouldn't be here. Now, come along on an investigation into the real Michelle Obama and her plan for power. I found out Michelle's father worked for the Democrat party machine. My father, he was a precinct captain in Chicago. People would come for money. It turns out Michelle was never a part of the black community. In that household, there was fear. You talk like a white girl. You could get your butt kicked if you talk like a white girl. What was going on in the 70s was what we called white flight. The only person doing white flight in the 1970s was Michelle Robinson. You're told by a school counselor you're not Princeton material. You're black, maybe you're stretching. Michelle was no victim of racism. In fact, Michelle has been running from the black community her whole life. Hyde Park is the best neighborhood. And Michelle sold out the black community working for the mayor of Chicago. This is turning into a ghetto. You better run. They just take our home like this year. And she sold them out as a hospital executive, <gasps> kicking poor black patients out of the ER. Yeah, I like that. I learned that to get power, Michelle pretends to be part of the black community she exploited all her life. Lo and behold, trying to pay your own rent. Imposter uh, syndrome. All out war between the pigs and us. And it turns out, Michelle's close friend and mentor was an anti-American radical. The politics of fear. Because of fear. Your fear. They want you to be afraid of change. We're working to change the future of this nation. We need you. Are you in? Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. And to transform America, Michelle plans to rule America come Election Day 2024. Well, that's pretty scary. Welcome again to the show, Joel Gilbert. So uh, you, uh, did, as you did actually with the Trayvon Hoax story, you're one of the documentarians or the filmmakers who really, really digs in. You're not just superficial, gathering a bunch of headlines or quick stories. You actually did the footwork, the legwork to understand who Michelle Obama is. So just to start with that, tell us what you did in order to investigate who Michelle Obama really is. 
Right. Well, I uh, decided to go to Chicago and I talked to people that knew Michelle, her kindergarten classmates, uh, elementary school teachers and principal, high school friends, work colleagues, even her uh, thesis advisor at Princeton University. And I got a whole picture of Michelle Obama that shows that her life story that she promotes in her autobiography, Becoming, is completely opposite of what she actually went through. Michelle was a very privileged kid. Her father was a precinct captain working for the Democrat Party machine in Chicago. And Michelle spent her childhood running away from the black community. She was afraid of black people. And she pretends now as a politician to be one of these ordinary black folks she spent her life uh, running away from and selling out as an executive at the uh, University of Chicago Medical Center and also working as a planning commissioner for Mayor Richard Daley in Chicago. She made 20,000 blacks homeless by taking away their homes, knocking down the projects at Cabrini Green. So Michelle always worked for these uh, white elite Democrats to deal with their problems with black people, take away their homes, take away their health care, and tell them how much better off they're going to be if, if she does that. Uh, but as a politician, she chronically tells these fake stories of suffering, discrimination, and uh, being held back in life and told she couldn't do things because of her race. And I present a picture and a portrait of Michelle Obama that uh, is uh, pretty unpleasant and shows that she's a pretty phony person as a politician. But I'm absolutely convinced she is planning to run for president in 2024. Oh, I'm with you on that. I think she's not only planning to run, but I think the Democrats... You know, they, they're in a tough position right now because uh, they had you know, 12, four years of Obama and they, everyone pretty much on the planet assumed that Hillary Clinton was going to win in 2016. So they had four years of what I was, I don't know if you were listening to my first five, but, you know, four years of Trump restoring belief in America and the American ideals. And now they're at a place that the country is not happy with the way things are going. The polling is constantly down on Biden, talking how bad things are. So... Um, so that they're desperate. They've got to get someone good and off, good in their campaign, good running as a Democrat for uh, president 2024. Michelle Obama seems like the, the almost um, you know, the almost inevitable. Yeah. But what, what does that make you think she's going to run? Well, Michelle is the most popular person in the country. She's had 15 years of all positive earned media, magazine covers, sitcoms, talk shows nonstop. If you look at her Twitter account, by the way, she's got about 100 million followers on different social media. But she's all politics all the time. She's building her coalition. She's reaching out to working mothers and women and women's groups, kind of that Hillary audience, Oprah crowd that she's been cultivating. And uh, she's the best loved Democrat. She was the keynote speaker at the Democrat convention, as you saw in the trailer, just like Barack was in 2020, in 2004. She wrote her autobiography, Becoming, uh, just like Barack did. So she's pretty much following his same formula. And just like Barack had a, a voter registration organization called Project Vote, Michelle started When We All Vote. And she was just here in Los Angeles about six weeks ago. She gave a fiery speech just hitting all the Democrat talking points. Um, and um, I think she's just kind of laying back. And the Democrats, as you said, probably have no choice but to turn to her. But they definitely love her and they want her to run. And I'm convinced, uh, you know, Michelle has set herself up for that, very much for that. And she can appeal to nostalgia. Remember how much you love the Obama years. She can kind of transcend all the failures of the Biden administration and just say, I want to bring us back together. I lived in the White House. I have the experience. Uh, 
And, um, you know, I want to move us forward. And I think, you know, the polls will show that people will buy into that. She'll be leading any Republican by 10 or 15 points just from the get-go. So I definitely see the, uh, the Democrats turning to her, and I see her preparing to run at this time. So actually, though, that one little clip that was in the trailer we just played, uh, she said she hates yeah, she said she hates politics, which yeah. it's a funny thing. I want to ask you if you believe that. But I also say I've heard people say uh, on the conservative side, the candidate they most try to find is a someone who kind of gets dragged into running because they they really don't seek power and fame. They are good people that others recognize. Oh, we'd love to have you. So do you think yeah. she really hates politics and is she going to get dragged in by anyway? Well, first of all, all politicians hate politics. It's not like you love politics. There's the politics, you everybody hates it, but people do it for the power and for the agenda that they want to promote. So Michelle is a very political person. She was treasurer of her high school, this huge high school, Whitney Young. She was always on boards. She's a very political person. She married someone who wanted to be a politician. And she was so political, you'll remember back in 2008, she was giving speeches to huge audiences every night when Barack was running for president the first time. And she went so far over the top, she said, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of my country because Barack won a primary. And that hurt her. So the campaign told her, look, you're hurting the campaign. She actually uh, took a lesson from Hillary's experience where Hillary was the two for one president. Uh, where you voted for Bill, but you also got Hillary, she realized then that Hillary made the mistake and that's why she was so hated by people. And Michelle decided to take a step back. So they said, okay, Michelle, you hate politics and you just want to be the mom in chief. So she decided when she was first lady to kind of just do the talk shows and the, you know, just do fashion shows and magazines. And so she was able to gain all this popularity by not being political. So that's kind of her little niche. But the idea that she hates politics is just a cover story for very intense lifelong political activity. And uh, she's playing that story right now, but she is very political. Look at her Twitter account. She just posted today trying to recruit people to work from her When We All Vote group, she wants them to work as poll poll workers in the 2022 midterm. So you get to go and count votes. So Michelle is all politics all the time. She's a natural politician. She's actually a better politician than Barack. She's a better speaker. She speaks with more emotion and she comes yes. off more authentic, even though she's just about as phony as Barack is. Yeah, these are uh, these are brilliant things. And I have to tell you, for my listeners, you know, you're going to have as we. I know it seems like the 2024 elections are far away. We haven't gotten through 2022. This is going to be. I don't even know who's actually going to be serving as president by the time we get to the election of 2024, because I don't know even if Joe Biden can hang in there. So this this whole assessment, this national political conversation about who Michelle Obama is, is going to go on and on. This is not premature to be talking about this. In fact, it ought to be part of what you absorb uh, from this book. I hope you order the book, uh, Michelle Obama 2024, and learn from it. So uh, back to uh, Joel. I want to ask you too, um, she wrote this uh, autobiography, Becoming, and you have to believe I, I did not buy it. Okay, I did not buy it. I did not read it. I'm assuming you read it. So well, what, what about that Becoming? I mean, was it like an authentic pouring out of who she is, or what was your critique of Becoming? Yeah, Becoming. And by the way, my book, which you had, uh, it's also a film. So the book is on Amazon.com 
and the film version is on uh, DVD or live stream on SalemNow.com. Uh, but Michelle's book, Becoming, of course, I read it twice. It's a political document. Uh, she says it's an autobiography, but it's a political document. She's really setting the stage for something. She's correcting things. She's avoiding certain things. For example, she went to Harvard Law School, but in her book, she just says, I went to law school and then got a job as a lawyer in Chicago. She doesn't say she went to Harvard Law because Harvard Law is the ultimate elitist degree. And she's promoted for years this idea of South Side Girl. I'm from the South Side of Chicago. They made a movie version of Becoming on Netflix. And she says, I'm from the South Side of Chicago. That's all you need to know about me. So that's kind of the image she wants to promote, that she grew up in a log cabin and that she struggled <laughs> to overcome things. And so anyway, Becoming is a political document where she's resetting the stage for her candidacy. She went on a you know, 50-city book tour, sold out stadiums, even went abroad to England and Paris and Amsterdam, and she sat for these interviews with celebrities. Now, that's a little bit of a mistake because what happened in those interviews, she couldn't help herself, and you really do get to know the real Michelle Obama, and I have a lot of those clips from those interviews in the movie version where she does tell a little too much. She talks about being afraid of black people growing up. She talks about uh, you know, all these experiences that you don't get in the Becoming book. Uh, so it was actually very telling. Uh, but her autobiography outsold Barack. She's more popular than Barack, and it, it is a result of all those years of just positive media. You know, one thing I think is, I found to be a struggle when Barack Obama was running. I still, I, I don't know how it gets played out mentally, but if you're running for presidency, as she uh, may be, and you want to make the statement that America is systemically racist, it is institutionally racist. I try to make the point when these arguments are made, because she does say that she, in one of the clips we just played, I think she had that comment about systemically racist. If you're going to make that statement about America, American citizens need to hear that and recognize she's not talking about somebody else. She's talking about you. She's accusing America of being systemically racist. And I would think given someone who went to Harvard, went to Princeton undergrad and Harvard Law School, it's a little hard to make that argument. And so which is true? What does she really think? And number one, and number two is, if, if America is systemically racist, you know, what does she want to do about that? Because what's the policy solution if, if you claim that is true? It's a really dangerous thing to think, I, I, I think to say, especially in the era where people are sick of Black Lives Matter. Go ahead. Okay, well, look, uh, Michelle Obama really has never had an original thought politically. She just kind of repeats whatever happens to be going on. She just repeats the talking points. She's pretty good at it. So she's just repeating the talking point uh, that there's systemic racism everywhere. You'll never get anything out of Michelle that's not just already out there. And the problem that Barack had, and she also has, is they're really not considered to be authentically black by the black community. Uh, Barack for years struggled because black people in Chicago considered him to be a white guy. He was from a white family in, in Hawaii. He was from Hawaii. He was an elitist Harvard attorney. Michelle pretty much had the same problem. She grew up afraid of black people. She ran away from the black community and went to elite schools, high school, magnet school, an hour and a half from where she lived. So Michelle blatantly lies about her childhood experience. She says, I went to the neighborhood schools. There was a huge, very nice high school a block from her house called South Shore High School that was all black. And she ran away an hour and a half away to study with white kids. 
Michelle said, my parents couldn't afford private schools. I've got her on tape. It's in the movie. Her brother went to a private Catholic school for $3,500 a year at the time. It was very expensive. And the Robinsons weren't even Catholic. So Michelle has no street cred. She has no street cred with black people. She has no experiences with black people. She just grew up and has all white friends. I don't think she has any black friends. She always gravitated toward light-skinned black people like her hero, Valerie Jarrett, or Barack Obama, who was from an island, you know, from a white family. So she always, uh, her real problem is she, it's the inner white girl within her. She grew up in a very Midwest political family. Uh, she also grew up in Jesse Jackson's house a little bit because her best friend mm -hmm. was Santita, Jackson's daughter. Uh, so Michelle, when she says things like systemic racism, or she makes up these stories, she chronically makes up lies about suffering racism growing up. One lie I uncovered is she talks about, for years, the story where she says that her high school counselor uh, racially profiled her as regards her applying to Princeton University and said, you're black, maybe you're stretching going to Princeton. And it turns out, I found out her high school counselor was a black woman, a church-going Baptist assistant principal. There's no way she racially profiled her. So Michelle always goes over the top on the racism stuff because she's trying to manipulate black and minority voters into thinking that she's one of them and she's actually not. So that's part of the story of why Michelle goes over the top so much on racist things because she never experienced it. So she's trying to manipulate voters into identifying with her somehow. You know, that plays so well, though, what you're describing her doing, it plays so well into the Democrat playbook as they run for many offices, especially higher office, which is divide America into groups of victims and then convince those groups of victims that everybody else in America it discriminates against you, doesn't respect you, won't, won't accept you. And so we, the Democrat Party, we are needed to ride in on a white horse and save everything and unite us. And I've always thought it is so uh, impossible. I mean, it's, it's not just impossible to do, but it's, it's either one or the other is true. Democrats run on saying, I want to unite. We're going to unite. Let's help us unite. But how can you unite if you're accusing half of America who happens to have white skin of being racist or the country, you're attacking the country? How can you unite based on that? It just seems like her whole racial obsession mindset actually should work against her. Well, her racial obsession, again, is phony. Uh, it's because she's trying to manipulate voters with these, with these stories. Barack Obama, ironically, again, he grew up in a white family. He didn't have any black friends or knew any black people or any ordinary experiences of black people, but he was somehow elected, the media promoted him as a racial healer. Like, uh, oh, his father's from Kenya, his mother's from Kansas, he's gonna bring us all back together. So that was the idea. But as you saw in my film, The Trayvon Hoax, uh, at, toward the end of the first term of Barack Obama, the black people were not on board to reelect him because he had done nothing for minorities. His his agenda was clearly the socialist agenda, and everything had gotten worse in the black community. Jobs, economy, illegals coming in, taking jobs, and driving down wages. So Obama jumped on the Trayvon Martin case with, uh, in, in Sanford, Florida, and said, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. He sent the FBI in there, and Al Sharpton worked very closely with him to inflame the black community. And that's when he embraced Black Lives Matter, in order to inflame the black community to, to vote for him and come out again. Uh, 
So that's the that's what Barack did, and Michelle very much is playing into that. She knows that the black community is the core group of voters for the Democrat Party and for her. So she's telling these stories of suffering, racial discrimination, and all these over-the-top things that never happened. Uh, but that it was Trump's inroads in minority communities, what he did in prison reform and uh, so many other areas, opportunity zones, where the black community was shifting over to vote for Trump. That was the biggest threat of anything to the Democrat Party. And I think that's why they worked so hard to stop him. Love that point. Uh, you also cover in your book, and I want to quickly get to this. Uh, I think two things, well, many things are very interesting about her. Again, to my readers, listeners, you need to read this book and or watch the film because when you're in, you know, political persuasion happens when you're sitting around after the tennis game having, you know, uh, Mexican food for lunch. And you're talking to your friends. That's where real political persuasion happens. More than by candidates, elected officials, you can be a persuader. And to help people understand who Michelle Obama really is uh, would be very helpful before 2024 comes along. So back to, you actually talk about the um, her, Michelle's uh, relationship with Bernadine Dorn. That's right. And yeah, I love it. Just, just tell us about that, please. Well, a lot of people are familiar by now with uh, Barack Obama's relationship with Bill Ayers, uh, but his wife, Bernadine Dorn, was really the, the bigger leader of the Weather Underground in the SDS, the anti-American radical terrorists from the late 60s, early 70s, they wanted to overthrow the government, replace the Constitution with a uh, communist manifesto, and killed people, bombed government buildings. This was a full-on terrorist group. And his wife, Bernadine Dorn, was actually the leader of the movement. And Michelle worked with Bernadine Dorn for three years at a law firm when she got out of uh, Harvard Law. And I believe that it was Bernadine Dorn that taught Michelle what she called the politics of fear. Uh, Bernadine Dorn preached this from the 60s that we're all afraid of each other. You know, it was this whole, whole sinister story. And Michelle preached that word for word in 2008 on the campaign trail, how we're all afraid of each other and we live in fear. Uh, so the influence of Bernadine Dorn on Michelle cannot be overstated. Michelle used her as a guest speaker when she was a community organizer with public allies in Chicago. Uh, and Michelle and Barack had dinner with Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn at their house for years. And Barack launched his political career in their living room when he ran for state senate in 1995. So the influence that uh, these 60s radicals had on the Obamas, the radicalization by these radicals cannot be overstated. I think that's a huge point. And again, to understand where we are, what, where would we be if we had uh, Michelle Obama uh, as, well, I assume she's going to be the, Democrat, uh, the Democrats presidential uh, contender in 2024. Where would we be if they came into power? Because as we are now learning on the Biden administration, who was Obama's VP for eight years, we're watching the, the, the eight years of Obama, the, the, the uh, over the cliff towards socialism, uh, you know, Trump got in there four years and kind of did a little bit of a roadblock there. And now we're watching Biden administration, which is really just um, really just the third term of Barack Obama. Uh, I do not believe Biden is making any decisions of consequence in this presidency. He's not he his the evidence of his mental decline is is overwhelming. It's cringeworthy. I, I can't even bring myself to play the clips of him because they, they, they make me feel sorry for him that he's put up there saying he doesn't know what he's talking about. But so you have Obama running for eight years, running the country. You have Obama running the country for eight years, under, for four years under Biden, and then Michelle coming along. So for one little pitch to my friends who want to consider Michelle Obama, 
you're, what you're going to see um, under Michelle Obama is exactly what Biden's doing to this country. It is the Obama leftist worldview that you're now watching uh, the Biden administration inflict on America. Most people are pretty unhappy with it. And all you're going to get is Biden again, but really ultimately going to get Obama again, orchestrating things behind the scene. Okay, Joel Gilbert, one last question. You mentioned this imposter syndrome. Um, and I'd love to have you, uh, you in the clip we saw it played imposter syndrome. What is it? What are you talking about there? Yeah, Michelle actually uh, on the on the book tour of Becoming, she openly talked about uh, some of her struggles, uh, and that was the problem with her book tour. She had to speak for sometimes two hours in these celebrity interviews with an audience of twenty thousand people. So she ended up going in all these areas that she didn't get into in the book, and she probably regrets it now because I I've picked it apart in in my film. I take all those clips from her, her appearances, and she talks about struggling her whole life with the idea that she didn't belong there. Like, do I really belong here? And having something called imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome is the idea that you don't belong wh with wh where you are, what you're doing. And people acquire it in childhood. I believe Michelle acquired this really in kindergarten and first grade because her mother registered her at Bryn Mawr Elementary School, an exclusive gifted school in South Shore, which is not on the south side of Chicago, it's on the lake. Uh, even though they had lived on the south side. So for two years, she was probably told by her mother, don't tell anybody where you live. I'm going to pick you up from school. Don't tell anybody. Uh, so Michelle kind of acquired this thing like you don't really belong here. And she had many experiences in life that she kind of was getting over. Every time she had a job, it was created for her. Uh, when she was at Princeton University, for example, she had a work-study credit job as a babysitter for the head of, uh, of a third world sorority, which would not have been legal. So she was always doing things where uh, some, something was created for her to do something, head up this group, head up this uh, University of Chicago Medical Center, make sure the black people don't come and use the emergency room, put them in these vans and dump them at these crappy clinics. So she talks about suffering from imposter syndrome meaning she's not sure she belongs. So I think that's what's driven her to do all these things, all those hundreds of magazine covers. She was on the cover of Glamour magazine nine times as first lady. Can you imagine? So I think it's what pushes her. She doesn't feel she belongs, so she's always trying to prove that she belongs. She's on Netflix. She's on Spotify. And I think that's what's driving her to run for president. She wants to show that she belongs, that people aren't judging her. And I think that's also why she'll follow the orders of the global elites. She'll want to fit in with them. She's always trying to fit in and shows show that she's not an imposter. And I think that's a very deep, dark kind of psychological issue that Michelle Obama has that's playing it out and forcing her to, to be a politician. That is so darn interesting. Okay, I didn't actually really know what that whole imposter syndrome was about. Well, you know, Joel, first of all, I thank you for all the work you do, because as I mentioned previously, when we talked about your Trayvon hoax uh, book and film, uh, you do research. I mean, it's not just taking, uh, skimming the surface or reading a bunch of articles online, but it's the footwork, the showing up in Chicago, the showing up other schools. Yeah, hold them up. That's right. Okay, so I got the book. I got the book, my friends. Okay, I still order off Amazon. Uh, Michelle Obama, 2024, off of Amazon. Uh, the film is also available at, Joel, where can they get the film? Film is on SalemNow.com. You can live stream the film on SalemNow.com or buy the DVD there as well.
Okay, but I appreciate your work. And I have to tell you that this is a very delicate thing, I think, because I think that for, uh, you know, we've had uh, the whatever number of years that now we've had Black Lives Matter uh, really pushing an agenda in America, but in, in part pushing the control over conversation. So any questioning, uh, any line of questioning, any inquiry, any statements that could possibly be contorted into an accusation of proof of systemic racism or some other thing, that's the way it's used and it makes people uh, uncomfortable. I, I want to mention for our friends, because I, I listening, I talked covered this at great length the other day. If you did not see this one little piece from the pit where Greg Phillips the one who works with Kathy Engelbrecht and, and did all the information that you saw in the, the uh, mules, he, Greg Phillips, uncovered, among other things, that and, and showed the FBI that the Black Lives Matter movement is funded and controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, he drew the diagram, he, he told, told who the groups were, showed it to the FBI. I'm getting the idea, understanding that that while certainly some racism exists and it's always evil and people of every race, ethnicity, national origin and skin color can possibly be racist. Racism exists, but American society has been contorted and manipulated, not just because the Black Lives Movement, Black Lives Matter movement became so strong, but because the Chinese Communist Party funding, orchestrating it with a purpose in their words to disrupt America and make it ungovernable. I want, I think more people need to understand the Black Lives Matter movement is not what the left claims it was and not what they've claimed they were themselves. And that the information is now available, Chinese Communist Party funded. And I raise that to say, in this very delicate kind of conversation you may have with your friends about Michelle Obama, she's not, no one should be immune from questioning, from scrutiny, especially when you aspire to hold the most important job on the planet Earth. You have to be subject to scrutiny, questioning, looking at your life. So back to you, Joel Gilbert. Thank you so very much for diving in and doing the research that got us where we have this film, have this book available, and can have these conversations to understand who Michelle Obama really is and what kind of America she would create were she to win the presidency. So Joel Gilbert, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Great to see you, sir. Okay, folks, so I, I told you, this is our last, this is our first time we're going to uh, Q&A Wednesday. Um, I'm going to try to leave more time other Wednesdays, but uh, this week I told you if you sent emails asking questions, I would um, try to answer them. So I have some questions people sent uh, for Q&A Wednesday, and I'm going to try to go through them fairly quickly. Again, if you want to, I'll try to start this in future Wednesdays at 3.30. If you would like to send in a question, email it to me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com because I can't possibly hit all the topics I want to talk about uh, in this short um, one hour I have in the show every day. So I'm going to quick run through questions. Uh, one I got, um, what had to do with an interview I did actually uh, in January 6th of 2021, the interview was with Maria Zach. She heads up the Nations in Action organization. And it's a very lengthy email, but the gist of the question is, Maria Zach is an American woman. She founded Nations in Action. I happen to have known about them for years. I've been involved in their stuff a little bit. So Maria Zach joined me on the show. She was a, is an American who had uncovered through her ten, uh, tenacious research uh, information relating to the interference with the November 2020 elections and the involvement of people in Italy. And she had an affidavit by someone in Italy who had basically said at the instruction of in his Italian consulate, at the instruction of the American consulate, he had actually engaged in vote flipping, electronic vote flipping of all of this data that sits in the servers 
between early voting ending and when voting day arrives. So what the point of this, um, her interview was saying, this is more evidence of election fraud. So the letter to me, the note I got, the question, again, again, very lengthy, but the gist of it was, you know, what's happened with her and what do I think about uh, the information she'll cover and cover and why hasn't the FBI done anything about it? So back up and say, uh, Marie Zach, I had actually known her business partner for years more than her. I, my view of her is she is, has a hundred percent integrity. She is not, she is uh, determined to uncover truth. She has the right mission in mind. Uh, she is trying to uncover more proof of what occurred in the November 2020 elections and, and how votes got flipped and what happened. I believe that she is earnest and sincere and is, is making an effort to uncover what occurred in, in uh, with election fraud. Like many other people trying to expose election fraud, she's run into some brick walls or some you know bumps in the road cannot uh, get more proof of what she uncovered. I, I am periodically in touch with her. Um, I know she's still trying to do that. I believe, uh, I don't, I mean, as far as I know, what she uncovered about Italy is accurate. And so I'm not, I wouldn't in the slightest dispute it, but I don't know. Um, I don't, so far as I know, she hasn't uncovered anything further. And so I'm, you know, if she does, I'd be happy having the show again. Um, but the other thing I want to say about it was, I do believe she turned the information over to the FBI, what she had. I also believe, tying back when I said a moment ago, that Greg Phillips, who is uh, the kind of business partner with Catherine Engelbrecht, and who do, uh, runs True the Vote, works at True the Vote, gave the information to the uh, Dinesh Souza film. Greg Phillips, what he uncovered about the Chinese Communist Party having in his possession, and this is not speculation, this is Greg Phillips, who is beyond question uh, reputable and honest and, and knowledgeable and an expert, uncovered evidence as he exposed in the big, the pit this past Saturday, uh, that the Chinese Communist Party holds information about election workers in America, not just identities, but name, uh, spouse, children, home address, personal identifying information, uh, layout of the voting location where these election workers work. It was in the hundreds of thousands of people whose data was collected by the Chinese Communist Party and held in a server in Wuhan, in China. And Gregory Phillips, told the world on Saturday he had this information and he took it to the FBI in January of 2021. And we've heard nothing. Now, maybe some of the FBI deep in the bowels, the FBI is diligently researching away, but we did not hear after all of the discussion of election fraud, no one from the FBI stepped forward and saying, yeah, we're looking into serious allegations that the CCP has information uh, relating to election workers, which if you're missing the point of it, the reason that would be dangerous is if you are the CCP and you want to control America's elections, you're going to use election workers to um, election workers to uh, potentially bribe them, threaten them, whatever you can do, you've got control, the capacity to make them do what you want them to do. Uh, and, and this is what why there's so much danger that the CCP is Chinese Communist Party right in the middle of our elections and the FBI uh, did pretty much nothing, nothing so far as we know, nothing about that. I actually also believe, I, I feel certain of Maria Zach's integrity and clarity and honesty and purpose. I don't know what happened within the FBI, what she turned over to them. I do think that some members of Congress are aware of it. And members of Congress, you might think, well, then they can investigate. But they run into the same roadblocks as Maria Zach and many others do. 
and and you have the ruling class in Washington, the dominant party, who isn't going to let you look into anything related to election fraud. So there may be people holding information that cannot go forward, um, and um, and that's kind of where we are on that. I, I Maria Zach, I will say uh, I do hear from her periodically, and I just checked in this morning with somebody else affiliated with her just to say. Do you know if she has anything new, any new proof? And she said, no, I think she's really, she's kind of stumped where she is. Um, but I stand by her integrity. Okay, I do have a couple other questions, but I'm going to tell you, I have to put them off for next week because I do want to take some time. Today's uh, the last regular show. Tomorrow, Thursday, we have our normal Thursday set, very different. I want to take a few minutes before the end of the show today uh, to mention some things to you that uh, before we tell, we do our why it matters to you. So if you send me a, a question, I do have more questions, four more. I'm going to have to get them next week. I promise I will. But um, on today, what I want to do before the end of the show, I want to mention several really important things. One is that if you're listening to this show on radio or anywhere, you're, you're not seeing it, you're just listening to it, I urge you to go to our website, americacanwetalk.org americacanwetalk.org. Go to our website. You can see all of our past shows. You can see our interviews. You can read our blog posts. You can read our Why It Matters. It's a great resource. You can also go there to buy tickets for our upcoming summit. This coming October 15th is our third annual Women for Freedom Summit. Cannot urge you strongly enough to go to that website. If you have the flyer, Emilia, I don't know if you have it handy, but if you don't, it's okay. We have this um, seminar, again, this uh, summit on Thursday, I mean, excuse me, on Saturday, October 15th, our third annual Women for Freedom Summit. Third annual Women for Freedom Summit. This coming uh, October, just a few weeks away, now, months away now, Saturday, October 15th, we have stellar, stellar speakers. Uh, you can see them lined up right there. Uh, you see Tina Peters listed there. Uh, she is the courageous Colorado uh, clerk who uncovered the astonishing dishonesty in the Dominion voting machines and the ability of the machines to change votes and the proof that they did. Uh, and she's now under a, a judge's order that she uh, cannot travel. However, she's trying to get that overturned. I was talking to her yesterday. So um, they are um, going to try to get the overturned. If she can't be there in person, she's going to appear uh, on screen uh, via video conference. She's still going to speak to us. Um, we've added two more speakers. Christy Hutcherson, who founded Women Fighting for America, which is a total fireball, great um, commentator on the border. Uh, we had Sharona Bishop, who uh, you would simply love hearing from, from Colorado, also related to election fraud. Uh, and we have... I came and tell you the most exciting guest is our big surprise Friday night guest um, who will make it worth your while to uh, be a sponsor for this event. So you can come to the Friday night event. I'm going to hold off a little longer before I announce who that is, but it's a great, great, great event on Saturday. Please go get tickets. Also on our website, americacanwetalk.org, I urge you to sign up for our newsletter. You can just click on subscribe. You get a once a week newsletter from me. Um, um, and you can also on our website donate. I will tell you that on our website, um, you can both make a donation to the show. This show is entirely listener supported. I, if you like what you learn and you share what you learn, which I implore you to do, share this show, but you can also support the show there. You can also become a member. And I thank everyone who's become a member of America Can We Talk. Uh, it's $50 a year, 5-0, practically free. 
and it's a time what well, being a member gives you discounts on our summits and our products it's a great and plus it helps this show um with you know just keep us rocking and rolling talking about america i really urge you to do that um i'm going to just do one quick my pillow plug on the uh mypillow.com as you have it handy emilio there you oh thank you so much so my pillow um as you all know is mike lindell's thing at mypillow.com uh, i urge you to go to that website and it is a great place to buy quality products. I don't push anything. My husband and I have not personally ordered, used, and loved. But we have, you know, pillows, pillowcases, sheets, towels, the robes, the slippers. Everything there is high quality. And when you go there uh, to that website, um, you can place an order. And that as you're checking out, it says it, there's a place to ask for, promote, for a promo code. Put in Debbie G, D-E-B-B-I-E-G, Debbie G, and you place your order. You get up to 66% off on all items. And I get a small compensation for your order. It really helps support this show. It helps support Mike Lindell, who has done wonders supporting uh, the exposure of election fraud in this country. He has another event coming up this coming Saturday, this coming weekend, I guess it is, uh, the Moment of Truth Summit in Indianapolis or somewhere, no, it's in Missouri. Uh, I think you can sign up online to listen to the live stream. Uh, I urge you to do that. He works to expose, uh, you know, expose election fraud and, and he's just a national hero for doing that. So wrapping up for today for our listeners, I'll tell you, I will be back with live shows next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from California, where I am right now. Um, and I urge you in the meantime, if you can help the show in any way, subscribe, support, buy tickets, become a member, be part of the whole. This is this is the way we American people come together to express our concerns about America, to move the ball forward, to defend America. This is a vital time for every single American. If you love America and you love freedom, now's the time to be active, to be involved, to be engaged. One way to do that, which is free to you besides subscribing to the newsletter, is to forward that newsletter, share the newsletter, share the link to the show wherever you listen to it, move it along, pass it along to other people who also will want to be in the fight to save this precious, precious country. At the close of every show, I tell you why the story we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today at the beginning, and this is just one slide today because I only had one topic that works with our slide thing. America's plight captured by the tragedy of Liz Cheney. It's not a tragedy. She lost her GOP primary by 37 plus points. That's a healthy correction for Wyoming. It's not a tragedy that dynasties and personalities like Bush Cheney have been routed by voters. The tragedy is that Liz, so, Liz Cheney is so deeply entrenched in the politics of personality and the rule by elites that her family taught hatred of outsider, Don, outsider Donald Trump makes her blind and deaf to the truth. No truer words, friends. There is massive, overwhelming, irrefutable, beyond any doubt, evidence of nationwide election rigging in 2020, a radical left agenda being imposed by an installed president to destroy America as founded. Trump did not create election rigging or a criminal DOJ and FBI or a corrupt ruling class. He exposed them. American voters are not Trump sycophants. They are freedom-loving patriots. They see Trump and MAGA as their only chance to preserve rule by we the people and not by the new world order globalist totalitarians. Liz Cheney simply can't see it, doesn't get it, and she is rightfully out. And that 
my very fine friends. Is America Can We Talk for today? Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you?